0: everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold podcast on the genre equality channel. My name is Itzir. I'm Isa. Uh, and if you're not familiar, Behold is actually a spin-off uh, of the genre equality show. Um we sort of realized you know our genre equality channel, which is you know based on the genre equality podcast, we sort of limited to sci-fi, horror, mm-hmm. fantasy, animation, that kind of stuff. And um over the over the kind of over the re- ensuing years la, since we started the podcast we yep. started to have the urge to talk about other things you know that don't involve like superheroes or ghosts or wizards or, or, or things like that so not that we have <laughs> anything against it of course because you know we run genre Equality, we love uh, that kind of stuff la, but you know there are things outside of that realm that we would like to talk about so behold is a podcast where we basically pimp out the pop culture that we love. It's not necessarily genre, mm-hmm. not necessarily current. Yeah. Uh, we, a lot of our topics are old, uh, decades old, in fact, or years old. Um, uh, indie films, uh, old series, uh, class, um, you know, uh, classic books, things like that. Um, all of it is up for grabs, you know. And and if you're not familiar with us, uh, my name is Hitzir. Um, we run the Genre Equality Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh myself i am a freelance journalist i used to cover music with bandwagon and juice these days i cover film and television criticism um, over at enemy asia and in popwire uh, and i also podcast about pro wrestling if you're interested in that sort of thing <laughs> in uh at the hard hits wrestling podcast you can find me there as well uh what about you isa
1: yeah so i'm Aisa. uh these days i'm i'm basically just like watching the stuff that hits wants me to watch so we can talk about them uh but yeah. most, i do that mostly i do a bit of writing on the side i do a bit of uh, music on the side as well mm-hmm. um for uh un- under my own uh, blank verse, moniker, as well as like helping up syndicate um mm. to do some music stuff uh yeah that's pretty much it
0: yeah pretty much uh, like uh so as you can probably like you know notice we 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 our relationship is based on on music la, but then you know obviously like <laughs> We can't talk about music all the time. I myself have have kind of lost interest in music, so which is why I shifted my career from you know music journalism to uh, film and TV and and other things of that sort. Um, and 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 this is kind of what the podcast is based on. Like it's just like uh, you know all my podcasts are just friends sitting around <laughs> talking about the stuff that we like. Um, it's not the most polished uh, podcast out there. Uh, it's not essay form or anything. It's just conversations. It's going to be very natural. Um, so forgive us if we make some mistakes or or we don't have, like, you know, facts off the top of our heads. You know, it's, it's just our opinions and stuff. Um, and for this episode, uh, we'll be talking about three things that were inspired or spun off iconic films. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll be talking about Fargo, we'll be talking about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and we'll be talking about Cobra Kai. And if you're wondering why these three topics were combined, um, it's because we wanted to talk about some of our beloved iconic films that for one reason or another, decades later, sometimes 10, (laughs) 20, 30 years later, find new life in a television medium. Um, and I I found it really interesting because these shows are not remakes. Number one, yep. like there are a lot of shows that remake old movies. No, these these are not it. These are canon expansions. Um, the Fargo series is set in the Fargo universe of the Coen Brothers. Um, one um, Ratchet uh, currently out on Netflix is a prequel of One Foot Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and Cobra Kai obviously a decades later sequel to the Karate Kid franchise. And mm-hmm. and the reason this three topics are, are, are chosen is because they present different aspects of that in terms of success. Yeah. Like the, the artistic success of, 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 of the spinoffs. Like, for example, Fargo, we would consider to be a worthy continuation. Uh, a very nice expansion mm-hmm. of the same level, of the same quality as the Coen Brothers uh, iconic film. Okay. Uh, with, with respect to Ratchet, um, uh. this is not how you do it. Ratchet <laughs> is how, it is, is the absolute wrong way Spin off an iconic film, it's a disgrace to its legacy, and, and we'll get kind of get into that as well. Whereas Cobra Kai, one of the unique instances where um, a show decades later with no expectations that people thought was gonna suck, <laughs> um, ended up being richer, like it, it, it enhances the original franchise, and mm-hmm. indeed ends up kind of improving upon the original franchise, uh, which was campy and silly but fun. Uh, whereas Cobra Kai maybe has a bit more substance to yeah. it than the original Karate Kid franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll be getting into that right now. Um, and, you know, I, I do realize that there are other shows that we could talk about here that uh, were spin off on films. Uh, some of you may be wondering why uh, I won't talk about, say, Hannibal.
1: Mm-hmm. Number
0: one, Hannibal isn't a spin off of yeah. uh, Silence of the Lambs. It is a remake or an adaptation of the books that Silence of the Lambs was based on. So it's not set in, you know, that cinematic universe. It's, it's a different take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you may be wondering why we're not talking about Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. That's because we already did. Um, <laughs> if you want to listen to our Dark Crystal Age of Resistance review, which is an amazing uh, prequel to the Dark Crystal uh, film... Uh, you can listen to John Equality twenty two. Uh we have a really substantial review on mm-hmm. that. Yep. Um sadly, uh, di- did you hear the age of resistance was cancelled?
1: Yeah, uh it's it's really sad. I mean like I understand that it probably didn't reach the kind of numbers that Netflix wanted to do, but um it's it's a it's tragedy, honestly. Right. Yeah. Just like that's one less, you know, um, avenue for puppetry as an art form to kind of like reach. Mm-hmm. Um reach us, right? And like Oh man. I, I I I get it. I understand that Netflix works in a particular way, but still it's very sad. Yeah, um
0: Netflix obviously facing some financial difficulties uh due to COVID. Uh not not in terms of putting shows out, but in terms of per- producing films mm-hmm. uh, and, and producing shows. Uh for example, like one of my favorite shows Glow has recently been canceled. Um the reason for that cancellation is that they can't hold these actors on retainer and keep paying them and not be producing. Yeah, um, And I think that might be the case la, with, with a lot of the shows that are currently being cancelled right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is sad. Um, Age of Resistance, such an honour and tribute to Jim Henson. He, it does exactly what Jim Henson wanted to do. It, it has practical effects, practical puppetry. Um, and you don't, you rarely see anything like that uh, out today, uh, which kind of brings me in. This kind of a side note. If you do want to watch something with puppets, you should go on Disney Plus and you watch um, a talk show called Earth to Net. Uh, Earth to Net is a show about um, an alien who decides to, uh, who was sent to invade Earth, you know, uh, sort of a scouting party for an alien invasion. Uh-huh. Uh, but he ends up falling in love with pop culture in on Earth. And decides to run a talk show, uh, to talk to celebrities about, uh, about their art and and you know stuff like you know what makes comedy comedy. He doesn't understand sarcasm, etc., like things like that. <laughs> it's a very interesting talk show format that I really love, and it, it has the Jim Henson type puppetry though like, with the aliens and stuff. Uh so do check that out if if you want to like. that, That's really cool. I can't exactly cover it on genre because it's not technically uh... genre, but you know. It's it's more of a talk show though, with yeah. with an alien conceit. Uh, anyways, uh, let's get into our first topic of the evening. Uh, we'll be talking about Fargo. Um, Fargo originally an amazing nineteen ninety six black comedy crime thriller. Uh, written and produced and directed by Joe and Ethan Coen. Um, it starred Francis McDormand, um, Willem H Macy, Steve Buscemi, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Somar, Um, and it it was truly one of the most iconic crime comedies out there like, of, of the last maybe 30 years, you know. Yeah. Um, and he has since been spun off uh, into, you know, the, the fictional universe, it's set and has since been spun off into a seasonal anthology uh, showrun by uh, one of the most uh, audacious... Um, TV auteurs, I would say, of, mm-hmm. of the 21st century in Noah Hawley, uh, who has also Shoran, Shoran Legion, and, and he does Fargo here as well. Um, if you're unfamiliar with what the seasonal anthology is, think uh, American Horror Story. Um, every season takes place with a new storyline, new characters, new contexts. Uh, but, you know, it takes place in the same world, though. In, in the case of Fargo, um, some of it takes place after the film Fargo, mm-hmm. some of it takes place before, uh, and and... As is the case uh, with our first in, with our first spin off, I actually think that Fargo is a very worthy continuation. I think Noah Hawley really captures the the the, the tone, the the humor, the pathos, the the sense of the, the quirky essence of what Fargo is, yeah. la, And 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 really revels in in it, la. There's a lot to savor here. Noah Hawley, I think, is um, I I. I, I Hmm, I don't know how to say that. I think <laughs> visually, yeah, visually, Noah Hawley is a better filmmaker than the Coen Brothers is at, at least in terms of uh qu- a quirky flourishes, Yeah, um, I would say the Coen Brothers overall are, are better filmmakers than Noah Hawley, and there's no diss to Hawley. Yeah. Um, Coen Brothers are obviously one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Uh, but I think visually, um, Fargo the series stands above. Uh, Fargo the the film yeah um on, on that first point would you say that that that's a uh, a decent uh, summation like is, is that something fair to say
1: yeah i think that's a fair observation definitely yeah. fargo the series has a bit more of, of a polish right that mm. uh it's it's a bit counter to what the coen brothers usual look and feel is like mm. uh you know like a lot of coen brothers stuff we get we get a lot of like i mean it, it it's it looks like film. It feels like film. You know, whenever you watch a Coen Brothers movies, and Fargo is a very quintessential Coen Brother movie, um, you know, and of course shot by um, the amazing Roger Deakins. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's there there is a signature look to what a Coen Brothers film looks like, and at mm-hmm. the same time, there is something very uh, quirky to the way that Holly likes stuff to be done, right? Uh, As we can see with Legion and stuff like that. So I think it's an interesting visual take on the same kind of tone that we get from the original film. Uh, And I think that part of the reason why it's been so popular uh, is because of that like that difference right i I feel like uh the way that Holly is framing everything and the way everything is kind of shot appeals a bit more to modern audiences than say for example, if he would be true to what the Coen brothers were doing in the original film uh and had that as a series, you know, like there's a bit more color there's a bit more movement there's a bit more dynamic uh in the way that everything is 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 kind of shot uh and um i i feel like it's uh it's a yeah it's definitely a fair observation and it's a it's a worthwhile comparison
0: yeah um visually it may differ somewhat but i, but I think tonally in terms of you know the, the eccentric characters the dialogue the intertwining uh crime uh mysteries uh going on in in all four seasons of Fargo. um it is very much in line and, and, and honors the tone of Fargo the film. Mm. Um, season one, uh, season two, season three, and season four all feature amazing casts. Uh, yes. Season one, uh, Billy Bob Fonten and Martin Freeman a star uh, alongside Alison Tolman, Colin Hanks, you know, um, amazing cast. Season two had Kristen Dunst, um, Jesse Plemons, um, Kieran Culkin uh Patrick Wilson, Ted Denton, <laughs> season three had Ewan McGregor, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh Carrie Coon uh David Tillis uh season four, currently right now, um, stars Chris Rock as as the head of a crime syndicate uh made up of black migrants fe- fleeing the Jim Crow South. Um so you know it's it's a very star-studded uh, series. Uh, a lot of uh, big names. A uh, few compelled because of no, uh, Noah Holly's writing mm-hmm. to to get into it. Um, overall, though, I do feel that uh, no no. This is season three and four, and season four isn't finished, so it's yeah. it's hard to make a, a reasonable judgment on it. Mm-hmm. But I think season one and two easily the strongest of uh, the Fargo anthologies. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Billy Bob Thornton's Lon Marvel, uh, one, of, one of the greatest characters I've seen on TV, at least one of the greatest hitmen. Martin Freeman such a shit heel of a character, you know. Um, and, and then season two, um, probably, I think, actually quite Quite improbably, um, one ups season one as, as one yep. of the as, as the best Fargo season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Kristen Dunn's and, and Jesse uh, dynamic as a weird uh, a couple caught in between crime syndicates is, is very cool. There is a a King Lear like arrangements mm-hmm. of uh, ambitious siblings uh, in in a criminal family rounding it up, um, and what Fargo has sort of become rather than a small intimate. Uh, crime drama set in Fargo is yeah. kind, of, kind of become the sprawling uh, tableau of, of American Midwest crime syndicates mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that feels very lived in, that feels very uh, funny, uh, and uh, just overall, it, it, it's a very engrossing show. Even in its weaker moments in season 3 and 4, it's still entertaining at the very least because yeah. of uh, Holly's uh, visual polish.
1: Hmm. I totally agree. I, I think for me, season one is still my favorite. Right. Uh. Just generally speaking, uh, the way that <coughs> Billy Bob Thornton and Martin Freeman play off each other is just like a joy to watch. Right. And mm-hmm. just like how everything like that unfolds. Uh. Season yeah. two. Uh. I uh, again agree with you. Definitely much stronger. Uh. Than mm-hmm. the first two seasons. Um. Kristen Dunst puts on a phenomenal and, to me at least, a very surprising uh, performance. Uh, it's, it's
0: different, yeah. uh, you know how from bring it on and things yeah, like that. Yeah, you know?
1: exactly. Like I wasn't expecting that, uh, and yeah. I do feel like, yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed both seasons one and two, um, uh, more so than three and four. But I have to say, like you McGregor in season three is just amazing. Link
0: right? twins, right? Yeah, yeah
1: so so good. I, I I think that carried a lot of season three for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as opposed, it didn't feel. Yeah, his performance felt like it carried most of season three for me. Uh. I didn't feel like the rest of the cast were as compelling as mm-hmm. the cast from Season 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Season 4 is kind of its own thing. Uh, yep. It's it's interesting, right? Uh, it's refreshing to see Chris Rock in a role like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, it's not done yet, and I haven't really caught that much of it. But, I, you know, I, I, I read like a lot of fans aren't particularly keen because it doesn't really stay true to what um, they en- envision the series is supposed to be. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, what are your thoughts about that? Actually,
0: well, I mean, I do think that Fargo has a different flavor every season. You know, uh-huh. um, and and of course, they're all set in different time periods. Uh, season two is set in the seventies, for example. You know, um, season four goes back even further. It's set in the nineteen fifties. It's about warring crime syndicates, uh, each made up of different migrant communities: the Jewish community, the Italian community, uh, the Black community. Um, are sort of you know at war. Uh, and and it's. Uh, It's a rather more subdued story about the roots of capitalism, Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, is a bit more um, thematically ambitious yeah. than the first three seasons or or, or even the Coen Brothers film. Um, I am yet to see whether it will, of course, take the landing. Um, mm-hmm. It has a bit of a, of a more subdued tone, a bit of a more sprawling cast. It has yeah. more, on it, more on its mind than the crimes and character studies of the first three seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not entirely sure that Noah Hawley can pull it off because I've, ne- I've never seen him do something like this. Something... Uh, a, a bit more of a political and societal allegory, yeah. uh, rather than just a fun story. Um, mm. So I do, I I don't know. Um, I I do know that Holly is a bit of a hit and miss kind of kind of showrunner. Um, you know, uh, Legion season one amazing, Legion season two not so much. Uh, Fargo first two seasons were great, season three mm. mm, it's mm. good, yeah, not not, not great. Um, so I don't know. Season four might be the one where he misses, but I think overall. Uh, his try record has more hits than misses so i'm i'm leaning towards being cautiously optimistic that this might be a great season yep. uh and if he can really you know coalesce and co cohere all the themes that he wants to talk about capitalism racism into a fun story i say why not la? Mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it certainly is ambitious right and it's kind of amazing how um like for the original movie Right, they call it what? What did they call it? A homespun murder mystery, right? For for it to go to a homespun murder mystery, as you've said, into kind of like this very full, very rich world, you know, filled with all sorts of stories and all sorts of characters. And I I believe um Joe Cohen was talking about just having like a like a archive or an encyclopedia or book of all all of Midwest true crime, yeah. You know, and it it really has um kind of like coalesced into that, uh. And uh, it's been a fun ride. I've I've really really enjoyed what's been putting out so far. Some more than others for sure, but all around like solid solid stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the the four seasons so far have been met with relative critical acclaim. Different levels, of course, you know, but but all are generally well received. Um, I think that the atmosphere, style, and and location, the accents, is a big part of mm, Hargo also. Mm. You know, um, really uh, pro- makes it a worthy expansion like, and and. Despite the weakness of season three and four, which are only weak relative to season one and two, yeah. um, I think taken on their own and without comparing, uh, they're still strong seasons. Uh, I I think Fargo the TV show is definitely worth a watch, and the Coen brothers have, are on the record, and I assume them to be telling you the truth on this that they're they're proud of uh, Fargo the TV show. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the Coen brothers themselves are kind of hit and miss filmmakers, uh, but I think they. Am, <laughs> Admire much like myself, I think they admire ambition, yeah, um, rather than consistency. You know, like no, Holly is is swinging big every season with different tones, different palettes, uh, different characters, different quirks. You know, he swings big, and and when you are taking such big creative risks, uh, you can't be expected to to have a hundred percent batting average, and yeah. I'm I'm okay with that. I would rather you you take big swings and miss hard rather than, you know, it being boring and safe and consistent. Mm-hmm. I don't want Fargo to be yet another uh, crim- crime procedural that you will find on 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 NBC. You know, I don't want it to be Criminal <laughs> Minds or Law and Order, you know, CSI. I know this to those shows, they're consistent, but yeah. they're, they're giving you the same thing every week. It's 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 bland, TV dinners, so to speak, you mm-hmm. know. And, and Fargo is, is like this chef's creation, you know, this gastronomy kind of like a mix of ingredients. Might not always work, but he's trying to give you something special. And I, and I, and I really admire that about Noah Hawley. Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I think, uh, for, I mean, like, as much as a, of a disappointment Legion Season 2 was, right? Like, you can't yeah. take away from the fact that Legion Season 1 was phenomenal. Yeah. You know, and very, very bold and it's something that we hadn't seen uh, at that point in time when yeah. it came out as far as the superhero genre slash the X-Men stuff uh, went. You know, mm-hmm. so so long as he continues to kind of like dream big and continues to kind of write these sort of very ardent, bold love letters to the things that he loves, right? Mm-hmm. In one case, X-Men. In the other case, uh, Fargo. Uh, I, I think he'll continue to do... He, and continue to put good stuff on the table and, like, that's more than I can ask for.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, looking at Legion already, like, it seems to have inspired uh, WandaVision, uh, which is coming out on Disney+, Plus. If, mm. if you've seen the trailer. It, it feels very Legion-esque. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Noah Holly is starting to have an influence on other filmmakers, which is interesting because Noah Holly is a very Tarantino-esque filmmaker in a sense that <laughs> um, so much of his flourishes are a borrowed, shall we say, from, from other styles. It's yeah. just he, he has so many influences and he stuffs them all together in this perfectly mixed cocktail mm-hmm. that it becomes um intoxicating, you know. Um I think Fargo, the TV show, is 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 menacing and suspenseful, uh, has surprising notes of hilarious satire and poppy violence, much like Fargo, the film, uh, but it elevates it with uh, a larger story, mm-hmm. uh, a larger cast, a more sprawling um uh, scope, mm-hmm. uh, I would say. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there are a number of callbacks to Savor if you watch the film. There are some callbacks <laughs> to the film. Um, in fact, a particular narrative twist in Season 1 uh, is, a, is a direct uh, nod to the film because mm-hmm. you know the, the, the buried money in the snow uh, from the film is uncovered in, in Season 1. So it, it does take place in the same universe. Uh, and But if you haven't seen Fargo the film, you can jump into Fargo the TV show very easily and, yep. and not get lost at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, why would you do that? The, the film is great. You should watch both.
1: Yeah, absolutely I think of mm, you don't have to but we would highly recommend it right just so you yeah. can understand like there's a greater appreciation for what what holly's trying to do once you've watched the original film you know yeah um and yeah 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 I highly recommend um everything uh that has the fargo name with it up to this point anyway mm-hmm. uh and hoping to see whether or not season four sticks it
0: Definitely. Uh, but I think overall, you know, uh, Fargo the show definitely lives up to the Coen Brothers' masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's simply uh delectable. You know, you can enjoy the odd, sour, frightening, hilarious, splendid thing in front of you. Yeah. Uh, whether it works or not depends on the circumstances. Uh, but in general, you got to admire the creative verve, uh, the crackling energy of, of Fargo and Noah Holly's style. Um, mm-hmm. and and even if you don't, even if you think it's a little too cute for you, the character work is quite splendid uh, yeah. there as well. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something quietly magical about Fargo, the Show and Fargo, the Film. Definitely highly recommended uh, and a will-be continuation of the Coen Brothers franchise.
1: Uh,
0: which, you know, unexpectedly a franchise. La. Um, <laughs> yeah, what? I what did... uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah,
1: I didn't think that there would be a spin-off series. Very, very honestly. Like, it, it's of all the stuff that the Coen Brothers have done, I didn't yeah I wouldn't have put Fargo uh to be to be the one thing that got a spin off.
0: Definitely right you know like uh but you know um if it works it works um I I I wonder if Noah Holly has ever had thoughts to spin off other things from, from the Coen brothers you know like a no country for old men spin off or something. Um it, it not necessary but if it's done well I I I can't fault it. Mm-hmm. Uh what is not necessary is a Netflix's <laughs> spin-off, uh, created by Ryan Murphy, uh, called Ratchet. It is uh, inspired and, and a prequel to the 1976 uh, classic film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, mm-hmm. which starred uh, the, the amazing Jack Nicholson uh, as, a, as a new patient at a mental institution. Uh, of course, you know um, Jack Nicholson's character, uh, Randall McMurphy, is a uh, Something happens to him in the film he is uh kind of abused in in the mental asylum mm-hmm. by uh an evil nurse called nurse ratchet uh, so that 's where Ratchet gets his name from is a prequel on the evil nurse um, which is <laughs> mm. well okay be- be- before we get into what, uh, before we get into Wretched let's talk about One Proof of the coolness. Yeah. first you know the, the amazing 1975 American drama film mm-hmm. um, I think one of Jack Nicholson's uh, best performances easily to date, yep. you know um, yep. it's right up there with his shining performance mm-hmm. uh, and he is he is fantastic like, and it's portrayal of ni- uh, of um, uh, mental illness mm-hmm. in the 1970s and the lack of understanding in American institutions, uh in mental hospitals about what mental illness is, uh was very illuminating, very shocking, very provocative. Uh Randall McMurphy, the character that uh that Jack Nicholson plays, is not mentally ill. He is a prisoner for a violent crime, uh, that doesn't want to do hard labor. So he's he's faking, you know, being crazy, so he gets sent to the madhouse and gets to chill out for the rest of his sentence. But while he's there, he starts Interacting with a bunch of weirdos, uh, with a bunch of people with mental illnesses of varying degrees, you mm-hmm. know, um, and because of the way that he treats them, he's human to them. He treats them like friends. He plays basketball with them. He he breaks them out, not to break them out, but to you know <laughs> take them to to take them fishing, you know. Um, he starts to bring these uh, introverted and 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 broken people out of their shells, uh, and and offers them a way to. Uh, Path to therapy mm-hmm. uh, that is much better than the lobotomies, than the electric shock therapies, than the the harsh discipline of of the mental hospital of of, of Nurse Ratchet. You yeah. know, um, it's it's an interesting little allegory for I, at least I think like what I got from it was this was this was sort of like a, a chamber drama allegory for the culture wars of mm-hmm. the seventies. Mm-hmm. You know, you know the the traditionalism of Nurse Ratchet versus the more uh, warm humane uh, radicalism of of McMurphy, um, and, and I think that is what uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest is. Do you get the same vibe, or, or do you, you do you see something different in in this film?
1: Uh, I mean, certainly, um... hmm. yeah. So I I agree with you. Like mostly how everything is kind of portrayed, right? Like for at that point in time, with where psychiatry was uh, yeah. you know and kind of like finding its feet and kind of a, but devoid of hum- humanity right yep. devoid yep. of the understanding that at the end of the day yes these people are sick but they're not just it's, patients it's, they're, they're, they're human as well mm-hmm.
0: it's focused on order and discipline right not on yeah. the people suffering yeah. right? so yeah. they're,
1: they're not people who are meant to be cured as much as they're people who are meant to be controlled and, and kept under control you know, where which is um which is embodied in in Ratch- uh, Mildred Ratchet, right? Yeah. Uh, and like for that to kind of have um that that duality between the two, right? Uh that under and un- underpins the entire movie between McMurphy's approach to life just in general, right? His carefreeness, uh his his disdain for authority, and mm-hmm. pitched up against um, Nurse Ratchet. Yep. Uh, really kind of like makes the movie what it is and I think mm-hmm. my main issue with Ratchet the TV series is that McMurphy doesn't exist there well
0: yeah. it, it is a prequel
1: yeah it is a prequel for sure you know and I had I kind of gone in to um watching the first couple of episodes which is all I gave it really uh, yeah. thinking that okay you know what she's formidable by the time we we watch One Flies Over the Cuckoo uh over the cuckoo's nest one right? flew over the cuckoo's nest yeah, yeah one flew over the cuckoo's nest um, and like it really is the kind of battle of wits and wills in, in the mm-hmm. film that that make it what it is you know and I, I really wanted to kind of see her like so she's new she's coming in and just slowly kind of cement that kind of formidable presence and you know why all her quirks are like that and like how does she really kind to get under people's skin how does she mm-hmm. become the powerhouse that she becomes in Uh, in the The film itself, Uh, and we don't get that, you know. Like, by and large, it's just, oh man, it is. It's very, it's a very good-looking series, right?
0: It's very Ryan Murphy, I would say. Yeah, it is
1: exactly. It's very very Ryan Murphy. It's a gorgeous-looking series, Mm. uh, but it doesn't have. There are a lot of. It's very salacious in ways that I don't think it needs to be. Right, there are a lot very of, of movie, yeah, very a lot of plot holes all over the place. You know, that just yeah. don't make sense, and are, again, unnecessary. Right, and the characterizations aren't nuanced in any way. You know, like it's completely opposite of what I want to see, uh, out of the film. Right, like you take the premise of the film, which is interesting, sure, but you only take half of it. Right, yeah. Uh, and then you just you kind of like that's that's all you discard everything else, you know, and that's the problem I have with Ratchet right now.
0: I think Ratchet is a very garish, outrageous soap opera. Uh, in tone with other Ryan Murphy shows, mm. um, and in in providing an origin story for Nurse Ratchet, uh, who was always much more of a symbol. Uh, a, a symbolic uh, representation of yeah. a certain uh, of traditionalism of cu- uh, of the culture war of the nineteen seventies. Mm-hmm. You know, she was a symbol, not not a character, and so an origin story sort of misses the point of, of Nurse Ratchet by a country mile. Uh, yeah. um, i it, it, it's it's really outrageous. It's it's ridiculous. Um, the the series itself, I haven't seen all of it. I've seen maybe half of it, mm-hmm. uh, but I tapped out. You know, um, the it's it's. It doesn't really seem to care about the message of "One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest" mm-hmm. so much as it, it gives um, Ryan Murphy an IP to build a, a another <laughs> Ryan Murphy show about. You know, this is this is just another uh, this is just another American horror story, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much, pretty much. Right, like it has all the 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 flash and the zazz, but like none of the 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 deeper kind of like meatiness that that we got from the film. You know. Like it's all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know. Yeah,
0: you know. There's the symbol uh, of a person who, as a symbol of how society grinds down individuals, mm-hmm. you know, in the name of conformity, you know. Um, and and I suppose explaining uh how she got to that point or why she identifies with that point of view might be interesting in the hands of a different auteur yeah. Than Ryan Murphy, yeah. who is. Honestly, to this point, uh, with maybe the exception of post, which he doesn't show, right? You know, post is, is run by someone else. Yeah. Maybe with the exception of that, you look at every other Ryan Murphy show, which has its merits. <laughs> its merits are not characterization, its merits are not political allegory, its merits are not intelligence. Its merit is flash mm-hmm. and, and pizzazz, you know. Um, and I think Ryan Murphy's track record on Netflix has just been Utterly disappointing. Um, he was paid five hundred million dollars uh, to be exclusive to Netflix. So, oh um, my god! The five hundred million dollars is not to make his shows. You know, it's five hundred million dollars is to him personally, so that he will be exclusive to Netflix from now on. And and the shows that he has made, you know, Ratchet, Hollywood, um, the Politician, have all been truly, truly terrible. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like at least with Nip Tuck, right? They kind of treads guilty pleasure territory, you know. Mm. But we can't say the same, right? For kind of almost anything else, uh, that yeah, done. yeah.
0: I mean, N- Nip Tuck was kind of before a-, a a lot of filmmakers and creators are like this after they find success. They sort of lean into all of their all of their indulgences. They mm-hmm. become a bit more indulgent. Uh, and Ryan Murphy has 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 gone, uh it doesn't care anymore. Like he doesn't care <laughs> about editing himself, you know. Yeah. And like this, this, is this is him truly, you know. Uh, he doesn't edit himself. He doesn't trust other people to edit him. Uh, and, and Ratchet is probably the most Ryan Murphy thing I've ever seen, for better and for worse, mostly for worse. <sighs> uh, yeah. it, it's and the, the thing that bo- that bothers me about Ratchet is 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 that it, it it does the legacy of one flew over the cuckoos nest, so dirty.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: it doesn't understand it. It doesn't try to understand it. Yeah. Um, I and and. Part of me questions why he would use this IP to make a series like this. He could easily make an asylum series.
1: Yeah, for sure. It, um, it didn't have to be Nurse Ratchet, right?
0: Th- think about it. How much of today's audience, you know, your your eighteen to twenty five, you know, the, the prime demographic that they're aiming for, mm-hmm. how many of them have seen one of one One flew over the cuckoo's nest.
1: Very few, I would reckon.
0: Yeah, but on the flip side, if it does inspire them to watch One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Hey, then I guess there is a point to the show, you know. Well, to introduce them something better.
1: And then they realize that the series that they've been watching is absolute crap. Mm. Yeah, sure. I mean it works out, I guess, that way, you know. I it it really just kind of like bothers me, right? Like why they allowed the rights to Ryan Murphy. From yeah. what I understand, it took him a fair amount of time to fight for it, right? Yep. Uh but you know, like he hasn't done anything close to that caliber. No, um, ever right, and if I was in charge of arrest, i was just like no, <laughs> sorry, no. Ryan, right? like no.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it it's, it's weird. Like, Ryan Murphy does have a, a, a slew of great shows under his belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get me wrong. You know, prior to Netflix, at least, you know, you got you got Glee, you got Popular, you got you got Nip Tuck, and 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 Post, which is on Netflix, which is produced by Ryan Murphy, but Ryan Murphy did nothing on that show besides direct the pilot. Yeah. Um, uh, but those are exceptions. Right? Ryan Murphy is like. I think he's like a Seanad Rhymes at this point, you know, like a, <laughs> kind of, kind of, kind of a factory of ideas that that he doesn't really work on, you know. Uh, but you can see from the tone of Ratchet that this is pure Ryan Murphy, like, that he's mm-hmm. very involved in the show, you know. And and I I think it's very it, it it's a joke, you know, like all the, all the torture and homicide and and the odd like um uh soap opera. Uh, quality to to ratchet. Yeah, it's very Ryan Murphy and very un One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, yeah. Star um fuck. What what was the name? What, what's the what's the lead actress name? Sarah Paulson. Yeah, Sarah, Sarah Paulson. Paulson. Who who is who is a Ryan Murphy favorite, and she's mm. been in a lot of other things as well. You know, has said that the show is building up to One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, in season four, she she was saying in season uh, four, and I'm 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 just gonna flat out say no one's gonna wait for season four,
1: man. <laughs> I didn't make it past three episodes. Yeah. I I I don't understand. Yeah, it it really is very upsetting. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, I because I just rewatched one flu of the cuckoo's nest before I hit it in the ratchet, and mm. like I couldn't. I really really couldn't.
0: You know, um, we 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 mentioned Hannibal earlier. Brian Fuller uh, was on record saying that his final season was going to be Silence of the Lambs, lah. Yeah. But in in that particular case, I would have been okay. with just delving into the the prequel, you know. I didn't need to make it to the big film Touchstone, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I was I was okay because Brian Murphy is a great uh, Brian Murphy. Uh, Brian Fuller <laughs> is a great is, is a great director. He's a great writer. Um, so I was very cool with just watching. This new take on Hannibal by Matt Mickelson, you know, have yeah. a very meaty dynamic between um, Will Will Graham and, and Hannibal was was more than enough to carry the show. Uh, sadly, sadly cancelled. Um, if if Netflix wants to invest in anything, you know, bring back Age of Resistance, bring back Hannibal, uh, bring back Glow. There's so many other shows that that are worth your mom, worth your money. Mm-hmm. than Wretched, which uh, which even even devoid. Let's say Ratchet wasn't. Attached to uh, one of the best films of all time. Yep. Um, it, it's still a bad show taken on its own context, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, that's kind of Netflix's problem, right? Like, they don't necessarily want long running shows because those have yep. established fan bases that may or may not get more people to sign up for Netflix, right? They want the flashy and the new stuff and they don't really care if it lasts for very long. Very
0: yeah. few shows last beyond uh, four seasons in Netflix. It's, it's, it's been proven, la. like, yeah. uh, the, the, the exceptions are the special ones, mm-hmm. you know, um, Orange is the New Black is a show that went on to seven seasons, but I think Netflix feels a real depth of gratitude to Orange is the New Black, considering that Orange is the New Black was their first show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's their baby, la. and even, oh man, it's so crazy to think about, like, just seven years ago, the first streaming show came, came on Netflix in Orange is the New Black, and then, um, House of Cards with yeah. Kevin Spacey, he, mm-hmm. he who should not be named, um, and and just seven years later, they're like, uh, I'm looking up here, two hundred thousand streaming shows, yeah, uh, it's fucking crazy, it's and no one, no wonder in that saturated landscape, Netflix can't afford to have a show, uh, go beyond four seasons, la, you know, uh, shows like BoJack Horseman and The Crown are, are, are the exception, not 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 not, not the rule,
1: uh, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I I totally understand that. I mean, let if we took if we take a look at, um. Shows that have done well by their own metric, right? Take, for example, Altered Carbon, Mm. right? Didn't pass two seasons. I mean, like, given season two was horrible, right? But, you know, that's exactly what they're looking for. They want the Flash. They want it to be something new. They want good-looking people on there. You know, a lot of hype, a lot of marketing over there. So people will will renew their Netflix Netflix subscription just to catch Mm. that right um but even then by by their own measure like those shows don't make it like why not put money into shows that have um true quality and have shown Mm. true quality instead of just kind of like letting people be disappointed by the fact that you know you gave something really good a shot Mm. but nothing past the first season or the second season you know
0: like, this has almost nothing to do with our topics, but whenever you scroll past Netflix, right, do you do you ever see, like, the top 10 in Singapore list? Yeah, and I do. Feel, and feel, like, disappointed?
1: Uh, yes, a lot. A lot of the time. Although, that being said, sometimes there's an interesting... I'm like, really? That's on the top mm. 10? You know, and I'll go click it, and it turns out it's a pretty fun watch, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is so rare, you know? That's really, yeah. really so rare. Or even the, the column that says, like, now trending on Netflix, I'm like, really? Are you serious? No.
0: And and then and then you start to realize, right, that people maybe people like hokey shit la, and maybe we're the exception and which is probably true. La.
1: Yeah, I, I think we're getting to the point because how ubiquitous Netflix is like people are really looking for stuff that doesn't require you to think because Netflix just runs in the background. Mm. You know, and especially in a time like this where a lot of us are stuck still stuck at home, right, for large periods of time. You know, you've got other shit to do, right? And you just need something to kind of fill the fill the space in, in the house. Uh, Or in your room and uh, you don't want something that, you know, maybe is really good, but you can't pay attention to it. You just want something that is like, oh yeah, okay, cool. I, I literally caught like two minutes of screen throughout the entire time I was doing my work or cleaning my house, whatever it is. And I understood exactly what's going on
0: yeah yeah um if you would like a show like that I, I, we do have to recommend the midnight gospel oh yeah um as something <laughs> that you really don't have to watch you know and you can do it while it, essentially it's a podcast uh, It's a recreation of a podcast done visually through um the the, the um i forgot his name pendleton uh he was a yeah. showrunner for for adventure time mm-hmm. he basically uh you know um text on fantasy visuals onto real podcast conversations uh it's something that you can watch or not watch and just listen to mm-hmm. and and sometimes you know you you look up and you see Crazy things happening, like a unicorn going through or a meat grinder or things like that <laughs> um, uh, amazingly, like, if you want to watch things like that you you can yeah. uh, but I, i'm I'm really sad you know um age of resistance, for example, got cancelled the day it won an Emmy, yeah, the
1: yeah. day
0: it won an Emmy like oh yeah couldn't you have done it on a day that they the 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 cast and the crew were not celebrating, and then you know pushed their hopes down it's yeah. ah it's disappointing, yeah. and then you know, and, and then wretched uh, debuts and <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like wondering what 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 is Netflix investing their money in, uh? Yeah, but you know what do I know? I'm not a businessman. I'm just I'm just a, yeah. a TV critic, you know. Uh, and maybe they do know what they're doing. They clearly do like. They clearly do know what they're doing, cause, you know, they are they're in a the business to make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and
1: yeah, uh, and they still have yeah. the lion's share of of the market, right, at the moment. Um, but mm-hmm. given everything that kind of like is coming up, right, I think Disney Plus has a huge push towards having some great content. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, like, how many streaming services are you going to maintain at one time? Mm-hmm. You know, like, two. Maybe two, right? And, like, if Disney kind of pushes forward with the fact that they have all the nostalgia that you want in old Disney classics, as well as, like, all the new Marvel stuff that's coming out. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, there's a strong... It, I feel like if they don't um, ditch this current kind of, like... uh. Strategy to make sure there's always new flashy things and only the new flashy things. Uh, mm. Netflix might might kind of you know see it come back to bite them in the ass.
0: Uh, I I do agree. In fact, I actually think uh, if you live in America, I, I actually think the best shows of of 2020 did not come from Netflix. Although mm. you know they, they have the they have the standouts, uh, they came from Amazon Prime and they yeah. come from Hulu.
1: Yeah, you know yeah. Hulu
0: in particular has um has Shrill, has Pen Fifteen, has Normal People um i think those were those were some of the best shows of the year mm-hmm. uh and they were not uh, Netflix. La. it's yeah. it's yeah i mean you i mean you've seen pen 15 and by the way season 2 is back uh if if you listen to our original podcast season 2 is back for the first six episodes mm-hmm. or seven episodes um uh, the season been split into two uh and i think pen 15 is just, is is still one of the best shows on 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 streaming right now <laughs> yeah if you want to listen to our review uh, go back to our Mixcloud page uh, look for it, it It was not that long ago it's just a couple of months ago uh, we, we talked about season 1 of Pen 15 mm-hmm. uh, one of the best most cringe-worthiest uncomfortably truthful tween female comedies that you can find anywhere uh, so yeah I would suggest you watch Pen 15 rather than Ratchet mm-hmm. or if you don't want to watch Ratchet please go watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest yeah um, one of the most iconic films of the 70s and really embodies the culture clash of the 70s, like the culture wars of the 70s. And, and given that the culture wars of the 70s it's kind of being replayed in, the, in, in 2020, you know, there, there is a new culture war of a similar vein uh, that feels like it's going to break out into a civil war. Uh, it, it, it actually feels like, you know, rather rubber, timely. One thing that did confuse me, though. Let I me mean, moving on. One thing that confused me a couple of months ago. Did you notice that everyone on, on your Facebook and everyone on your Instagram and Twitter suddenly started talking about Cobra Kai and yeah, and I was I was perplexed. <laughs> I mean, not not that I don't want people watching Cobra Kai. I love Cobra Kai. The thing was, I was I was confused because Cobra Kai came out on YouTube Red four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, why are, you sud- why are so many people suddenly talking about Cobra Kai now in 2020, you know, in, in, in the last two months of 2020? And I was like, I don't, I don't understand this. Did, did, <laughs> did, did people suddenly get a, a free, free account to YouTube? Is that, is that what they were offering? Turns out, no. I went on Netflix and then uh, Cobra Kai was added to Netflix. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's now a Netflix show. Cobra Kai was cancelled by YouTube Red, yep. picked up by Netflix. Uh, and suddenly, uh, you you're talking about the ubiquity of Netflix, right? How everyone has Netflix, but you know maybe the other streaming services are not as popular as of yet. Yeah, it it truly gave Cobra Kai a, a new lease on life, uh, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, and suddenly it became the talk of the town, which is why I wanted to include Cobra Kai here. Um, if you're not familiar, Cobra Kai is based on the 1984. Uh, I lose this. I use this term uh loosely. Um, martial arts drama. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, it's based on the original Cobra K- Kai, like, you know, the Mr. Miyagi Cobra Kai, uh, not on the Will Smith, Jaden Smith uh, karate kid, which uh, had um, kung fu instead of karate. <sighs> yeah. Bizarre, by the way, bizarre. Like they went to Japan to learn. No the... wait, wait. They went to Japan to yep. learn kung fu, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is not karate, <laughs> Like kung fu is number one. Number it's a it's a Chinese martial art. It has nothing to do with Japan, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. Anyways, let's let's not talk about that that rebooted uh that rebooted Karate Kid. Although I do notice that Will Smith is a producer on, on uh, Cobra Kai, uh, if you look at the credits, um, <laughs> the 1984 Karate Kid uh, has been has has several sequels, but I think none of them were as good as the first Karate Kid. You mm-hmm. know, which uh, follows Daniel Larusso, played by Ralph Macchio, uh, a teenager taught uh taught karate by Mr. Miyagi to help defend himself and compete in a tournament. The Valley High tournament uh, against one of his bullies la. Yeah. One of on, one of which is the ex boyfriend of his current love interest. Uh, um, uh, played by Elizabeth Shue. Uh, Ally Melis, I believe that's the name. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became um a camp uh, 80s uh icon la, Basically, you know, I've seen the Karate Kid several times on Channel Five. You know, it's it's it stood the test of time. Dude, I haven't watched the Karate Kid since I was in secondary school.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
0: guarantee you, I can quote every line there. Eh? <laughs> I remember it so well. Get, you know, get him a body back, uh, sweep the leg, Johnny, shit like that. Like it, it entrenched in my head. Uh, like was karate kid as big a, a part of your childhood as it was for mine? I
1: I just remember watching it a number of times on TV, right, like yeah. late night TV, and like the the images are just kind of ingrained in my mind. And I would not think it was until maybe. Yeah, probably like late secondary school, maybe about fifteen or sixteen, when I sat down to watch it in its entirety, and then I like, finally committed that <laughs> as a mm-hmm. film to so memory. Instead of having like just kind of like these iconic scenes like st- uh, stepping out at me, um, yeah, just like some of the lines, right, have become so ingrained, uh, ingrained, wax on, wax off, wax yeah. on, wax off, and so on. that you know, uh, the the references to it in um in like um. um Oh no, what was it? Community, for example. Yeah, I, I
0: think th- every comedy has, has parodied the karate kit at one yeah, point. In time.
1: Right. Like and just like it just shows like how Im- culturally important it became, right? Mm. Kind of over time. And karate when,
0: became the most popular sport in, in the US in the eighties because of the film. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't know that. That's that's well, okay, okay. I didn't know that. And
0: suddenly like every fucking karate dojo in every strip mall in America, you know, started getting like sign ups.
1: That's amazing. That, yeah. that really is, yeah, that really is quite something. You know, uh,
0: but yeah, Um, it, it, it's strange to say, but Karate Kid has had this elastic influence, and its sequels to varying degrees yeah. uh, were okay. Like, some were good, some were not. Uh, I would say Karate Kid 3, probably not the best. The one with Hilary Swank, the rebooted one, not rebooted one, uh, um, Hilary Swank as Miyagi's new teacher, I think that was pretty good. Uh, uh, I like that one too. The
1: next car ticket? Is that the, the one? The next car ticket, yeah. that's the
0: one. Yeah, the next car ticket. Um that was pretty good. Uh and, and yet, like, shockingly, I think thirty ish years later, mm-hmm. uh the the show is revived as a television series on YouTube Red, um a fletchling um as we mentioned, it's not, it's not a Netflix production, by the way. It's a YouTube production, yeah. uh, a, a flashing streaming service, which is basically based on um, a How I Met Your Mother joke. <laughs> um, if you have never seen How I Met Your, How I Met Your Mother, Barney Stinson, through several episodes, makes a very compelling case that that Johnny Lawrence was the, was the true hero of yeah. the Karate Kid, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the, the, misunderstood, uh, the misunderstood hero... Uh, Whereas um, uh, what was his name? Uh, Daniel. Whereas Daniel was actually the antagonist of the film. You know, Uh, he he points out several things that the show really makes use of. He points out that the crane kick (laughs) at the All Valley Karate Tournament is illegal. Look it up. It's you can't kick to the face in karate tournaments. You know, Um, Johnny, who punched uh, Daniel in the face earlier in the match, was deducted a point and given a warning. You know, so how is it that Daniel uh, can win a match by landing a kick on the face without you know costing him a point or without being disqualified? Mm. Like, I get it. Daniel rolls into town from New Jersey, steals this guy's girlfriend. Wh- how is he not supposed to be upset, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so these these are all these are all the things that originated from Bunny Stinson, <laughs> uh, Amazingly, <laughs> they picked up on the idea and decided to make uh, a, a sequel show uh, set some thirty years later. Uh, that subverts the karate kids' dynamics by making Johnny Lawrence your lovable anti hero mm-hmm. by portraying Daniel as uh, essentially the bully in this instance. You know, Daniel has grown up to become a successful car dealer. Yeah. You know, he is rich. He, he has a, a hot wife. He, has a, he lives in a big mansion. He has kids, you know, whereas Johnny uh, still hung up on his all-valley karate tournament loss 30 years ago. <laughs> uh, is, is, is living like a bum. Uh, he's divorced. He's estranged from his son. Uh, he, he's, um, he's living paycheck to paycheck, uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. I thought it was a very limited idea uh, that maybe would have made a great sketch comedy, you know, kind of yeah. like 10-minute kind of sketch comedy act uh, for them to actually, um, <laughs> uh, for them to, I don't know, take it, and actually make it uh, more than a solid show—a show with actual depth, mm-hmm. uh, with great characters, with excellent fight scenes—that uh, yes, still uh, uses the crutch of nostalgia, but n- but doesn't rely on the nostalgia. You know, it it really pushes beyond that to make it into a good show. It's astounding to me. I'm I'm constantly astonished when I think of Cobra Kai. Yeah. this should not have worked, and yet it has become one of my favorite shows of the last uh, of the last ten years.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you there. Like it just. I still remember when you when you first told me about Cobra Kai, right? Yeah. Like all the, oh, how many years has it been actually since it was in YouTube? Like three or four years. Yeah. yeah. three or four years, right? And I, I remember sitting there thinking, "Really? Are you serious? <laughs> I, that's what they're doing?" And of course, to have the actual actors come back, right? Yeah. Um, to kind of play the roles, so like it's it's amazing what they've done, like really, really, truly, kind of mind blowing for them to take a premise like that, right? So small, it's kind of a throwaway joke. Uh, and make it so compelling, you know, because we get to see, uh, something that has cultural significance, right? I mean, in pop culture, at least, kind of get yeah. get second life, but not just that, but enhance and 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 deepen the world and the characters that inhabit it, in mm-hmm. a way that completely, I mean, no one would have thought, right? Mm-hmm. I I think that you know that Cobra Kai would have worked. Uh, and in addition to that, for it to come on Netflix and then re- become as popular as it is right now, like it's kind of mm-hmm. mind-blowing. Uh, and a testament yeah. to how good it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if Cobra Kai was just a tale of how Daniel and his high school nemesis Johnny uh, is training the next generation of karate kids, right? It would have been shameless pandering. Yeah. Um, at times, effective pandering because Markio and Zepka, um really commit to their most <laughs> famous roles here, yeah. but not something capable of filling out um, two seasons yeah. uh, of, of, of story. There's barely enough material here, as I was saying, for a 10-minute comedy shot. Yet, somehow, Cobra Kai, you know, who were who are actually created by Harold and Kumar's uh, writers, uh, John Howitz and uh, Hayden uh, Schlossberg, um, keeps surpassing all reasonable expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, every, every time I thought the idea had exhausted its usefulness, the story took another turn yeah. or another character dynamic came into play. And, and I just wanted to see uh, more of it you know, um, I wouldn't exactly call it high art. No. Uh, <laughs> um, in part because the appeal rests enormous, enormously on your level of knowledge and affection for the original movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like 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 take for example Creed, right? Like you could enjoy Creed without watching Rocky, yeah. if you wanted to. Yeah. You could. You couldn't enjoy Cobra Kai without watching Karate Kid.
1: No, you wouldn't. So, yeah, you'd be pretty lost, honestly.
0: Yeah, but at at the same time, if you did watch Karate Kid, this is compulsively watchable. Actually, le- legitimately, emotionally engaging with mm-hmm. nuanced characters. Mm-hmm. And, and almost always one step ahead of where you think it's going, you know. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to point out, you know, like, uh, one of the famous line that I said earlier, you know. Uh, have you seen season two of Cobra Kai? I don't want to spoil it for you.
1: Yeah, I have. Yeah. I okay,
0: have. so, um, spoiler alert for season two of, of Cobra Kai. Like, you know, the, the the kid who says, uh, get him a body bag. You know, that kid, you know. <laughs> um, his last scene in Cobra Kai season two is him being being... Him dying in a motorcycle accident, yeah. and then being 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 zipped up in a body bag, you know, it made it made me cry. Oh my god! Like what a great ending for that character,
1: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. you know. And 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 I, I never thought like you, you could have a redemption arc for Johnny Lawrence. Let alone the rest of the Cobra Kai crew. Uh, and then Johnny's you know hatred for his old Sensei and everything coming back into play. Uh, Daniel being Daniel being presented this way this modern incarnation of Daniel 30 years later yep. feels so natural. Like, it's not a reach or anything. Like, I could easily see Daniel getting this way.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And w- one additional thing that I really kind of enjoy uh, about Cobra Kai is just, like, the kind of, the f- they-, they hit the nail on the head as far as it goes with martial arts, right? The whole idea of, like, you having a student and, you know, your loyalty to your dojo and, like, what's your lineage and all of that. Like, all of those mm-hmm. things uh, are played to really, really good effect. You know, because those things do exist, right? In in martial arts, um, and it's very and it's played to great effect a lot of the time. Not just for for laughs, but also for the fact that it deepens the characters' relationships and therefore conflicts. You know, that's yeah. something that happened like uh, what that's something that happened like thirty years ago uh continues to be relevant, right, in people's lives today. Uh, and it's it's crazy how that kind of affects a much wider community of characters than just the two.
0: I think the a lot of the comedy of the show also um has been updated to contextualize millennial and Gen Z sensibilities. Mm, you know, mm. um, I think Johnny Lawrence being the Gen Xer that he is, you know, he is uh, you know, all about you know he doesn't believe that allergies exist. You <laughs> know, um. Uh, he uh, he doesn't he's not aware of, of the new vocabulary that these kids have the sensitivities that they have and, and things like that like you know and it's played for really big laughs you know yeah, yeah. and and just the, the idea of of Johnny um training uh, a crew of nerds and geeks who are getting bullied uh, to to defend themselves was already an interesting idea and then it flips it on its head some more because of the toxic ways that he teaches these kids yeah. <laughs> they they actually become bullies they they start being you know like Hawk for example you know the kid of the lip yeah. He he starts being the worst of them. It's 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 such a great turn and twist, you know. And then you start rooting for 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 Daniel again.
1: Yeah, yeah. With with,
0: with Daniel screw who who Daniel also training his son. Ah, oh, what a uh, that training Johnny's son. What what a great twist, yeah. man. The show, the show continuously <laughs> continues to hit like so many great beats. Um, the season finale of season two on YouTube Red came out the same year that we reviewed the Defenders. Right, you watched the Defenders yeah. to the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it came out the same year, right? And then I believe if you listen to our journal of equality review of Defenders, um the the final fight sequence in the Defenders, truly one of the most horrendously <laughs> horrendously short fight sequences are uh, to to Wu Tang clans, you know, um Wu Tang in nothing fought with, right? Yeah. Um Horribly short, you know, terrible one-take sequence. And then on the flip side, on the same month, Cobra Kai Season 2, the finale, the the (laughs) single-take sequence in the halls of the school where a karate brawl breaks out between the two factions was outstanding, one of the best fight action sequences I saw that year. (laughs) And to think that it came from this comedy uh, show crutching on nostalgia to deliver a fight sequence like that, this show amazes me on all levels, man. Like the fight sequences are good, yeah. and and that brawl and that brawl was the height of of that show.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I, I really definitely agree with you there.
0: Yeah, yeah. A lot of you may be wondering where I, was, where I was going with the defenders analogy. That I, was. Yeah. I remember watching the two shows back to back. I'm like thinking, what? karate kid. This Karate Kid show did this on like, what, one-eighth of your budget? Yeah. And still made it work and made it look like a brutal but fun brawl, Mm -hmm. uh, which ends tragically, by the way. Uh, I'm not going to spoil how it ends Mm -hmm. uh, for those who haven't seen it. But it sets up a very, very good season three, which is why it was very sad when YouTube Red, uh, not a successful streaming service, YouTube Red has since been closed down. Yeah. Um, They they cancelled Cobra Kai. And I was like, oh, no, we're not going to find out the, the conclusion to the cliffhanger. Thank God, Netflix, you know. I, I know I shit on them earlier. Like, <laughs> thank God, you know. Uh, credit to you, Netflix. This is why I still sign up. Netflix saved Cobra Kai, brought it back, and kudos to them. Uh, also bought, bought the library to Cobra Kai. He, they, didn't buy, they didn't just buy the right for season three. They mm-hmm. bought the rights for season one and two also, which gave it a whole new audience, as, as I noticed from my social media, to catch up on uh, Cobra Kai season 1 and 2 and then everybody after they started watching were <laughs> like oh no where's season 3 I hope there's a season 3 motherfucker I've been waiting like 3 years for season 3 yeah. and and it's coming in January 2021 Um, am very excited about this in, in, a, in a COVID era where you can't go out uh, to watch season 3 of, uh, of Cobra Kai is going to be a, uh, such a joy <laughs> and and it's probably going to be a bit more tragic than the comedic first 2 seasons mm-hmm. because of what happens at the end Yeah. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to season three. Are I, 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 you as well?
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I I'm hoping. I'm hoping it takes a much darker, more dramatic turn, mm-hmm. because like behind all the laughs and all of that, and kind of the sil- general silliness, there is a kind of very deep psychological issues that should be should be dealt with, mm-hmm. and, and 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 should at very least be we kind of like uh, uh mentioned, you know, in in a much more like uh you know in a much more sus- uh nuanced way. If they yeah. go that route and they manage to pull that off as well, then like Cobra Kai just continue to grow, right? In in terms of the legacy that is is creating,
0: indeed, indeed. Uh, and and one of the rare examples of uh, of a spin off actually enhancing the legacy of its original film, uh, mm. uh We highly recommend Cobra Kai. As as you know, you can watch the first two seasons on YouTube, or if you have Netflix, which I'm assuming you do, you can watch the first two seasons on Netflix. Uh, and then you only have to wait a couple of months. Uh, for season three, uh, something that I had to wait three years for. Uh, so there you go. Uh, th- that 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 was why we wanted to talk about these uh, these television spin-offs to iconic films. Some of them are worthy, some of them are not, and some of them improve upon it. You know how about that? You know, um, and also as we mentioned earlier, please do watch Age of Resistance. Another example of of, of a prequel. Uh, year years decades later, mm. um, staying true and honoring. The aesthetic and tone and legacy of the original, and maybe in some ways, due to modern technology improving upon it. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I mean, really, really loved *Age of Resistance*, *Cobra Kai*, and *Fargo*. Uh. Do not watch *Ratchet*. Watch *One Fruit Over the Cuckoo's Nest*, please. Yeah. It is a much more uh, valuable watch. And for the next episode of *Behold*, right? Um, it's it's spooky season. Yeah. Uh, um, and and okay, it's spooky season, meaning that every single platform, every single studio is releasing horror stuff, you know. Uh, it, this is nothing to do with the next episode, but if, if I was looking at my Journal uh, Equality rundown for next season, mm. uh, for next month, yep. you know, um, I'm, I'm covering like 20 plus shows and like 15 of them are, are horror stuff, you know, mm-hmm. that people are, are obviously, that like, I have been holding for this month and I'm like, oh, <laughs> so much of them are not good. Uh, so instead of covering regular horror for the next episode of Behold, we'll be talking about Meta horror. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're talking about horror movies that are about Horrors. horror movies. Um, our main topic is The Cabin in the Woods mm. by Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon. Uh, one of the more recent examples of meta horror out there that is really smart, that explains and deconstructs and elevates and, uh, and celebrates the tropes of horror filmmaking. Mm-hmm. You know, other titles we'll be talking about uh, some, some of them are older, some of them are newer. We'll be talking about Wes Craven's meta phase in the mid-90s. Uh, Wes Craven came out with a film called New Nightmare, which is basically his meta take on Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. Freddy Krueger, where um, the cast of The Nightmare of Elm Street is haunted by the actual Freddy Krueger. Um, very interesting meta thing. Uh, of course, The Godfather... Of meta horror is Scream. Mm-hmm. you know. Um, the one that everybody talks about. Um the you know, the famous scene where the kid is explaining the rules of horror horror, what you can and cannot do, how do you survive the serial killer, you know, who is adhering to the rules of horror. Um, probably the granddaddy of meta horror, like the the one that everyone knows about the most, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um yeah. and we had another topic also, um One, forgot, cut, of uh, one, one cut of the Dead, uh, a Japanese quote unquote documentary film uh about <laughs> Uh, a Japanese film crew filming a zombie apoc- uh, filming a zombie movie yep. who are attacked by actual zombies, <laughs> and then in the second half of the film, you realize that the attack was also staged because they are making a mockumentary of a mockumentary. Uh, one, one of the most amazing Japanese uh, films, one of the most amazing films of last year, uh, in fact, you know um, really, really great. so we 're talking about horror movies, about horror movies. They not only hilariously deconstruct the tropes. They also it's also a Valentine to the tropes of horror filmmaking, you know. They they have their cake and eat it too. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Um have you have you have you seen any of uh, Nick's uh Nick's month's topics or see, the next episode's topics? Yeah,
1: so I've done Cabin and Water of the Dead already. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna rewatch Scream.
0: Just because oh, so Scream, it's
1: been so long. It's been so yeah. long. Uh since I took Scream seriously. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh I've not watched New Nightmare yet. I'm I'm pretty interested to see where that goes.
0: Uh, New Nightmare. I'm I'm gonna say straight up, like it's not as good as Scream. Um, it's it's an it's an okay horror film. Yeah. But it is the first instance I think in horror filmmaking of this this type of thing. You know, mm-hmm. where a filmmaker is deconstructing his own films. Yeah. So I I, I thought it as as like kind of a a prototype for all the other films that we're talking about, it was important to include Wes Craven's New Nightmare as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Wes Craven really like this was like his rough draft for Scream. Yeah. You know, like a year later he made Scream, and then he really got it right. I I rewatched Scream, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I forgot. I mean, I really forgot it. it was so good. I had only seen bits and pieces of Scream here and there on, on TV. Uh, and watching the whole thing with with a more uh, adult context. Now now I I I cover horror a lot, right? Yeah. I know the tropes yeah. a lot more. It it, it I really. Wonder whether a lot of the stuff flew over people's heads back in 1997 or 1998, mm-hmm. whenever it was that came mm-hmm. out. You know, uh, so yeah, we'll be we'll be diving into that uh next episode, man. Really yeah. excited for yeah. that
1: one. Me too, me too, hey, me yeah. too. just just to have something different to kind of talk about, right? And just mm-hmm. like so much horror going on for our next genre equality.
0: Yeah, horror about horror. Uh, anyways, uh, this has been this episode of Behold. Uh, my name's Itzer. I'm Isa. Uh, goodbye, guys. See you in a couple of weeks.
1: Ciao.